Welcome to the Work Hard, Play Hard podcast. My name is Rob Murgatroyd, and I'm a former doctor turned lifestyle entrepreneur. Each week, I interview some of the best minds on the planet on the science of achievement and the art of fulfillment. Come take this journey with me. Excuses are over. It's time to live. I was really, really lucky to come from two parents that just wanted me to try every single thing that interests me. And I was a very outspoken, outgoing, demanding little girl. I could have just said like, all right, well, uh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go to LA. I don't really have the money to do that. And I could have let it go, but something told me I need to go and I need to do this. I need to invest in myself. And I had to officially for the very first time, let go of all of that and rebrand as who I am as Jen Gottlieb and figure out exactly who that person is and what I want to do going forward, 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 forward. What's up, everybody? This is Rob Murgatroyd, and welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard show. This episode features Jennifer Gottlieb from VH1's That Metal Show. You can find her on Instagram and elsewhere at Jen underscore Gottlieb. That's G-O-T-T-L-I-E-B. You know, I wanted to have Jen on the show because her story will show you how easy it can be to create a persona, in her case on television, but how difficult it can be to actually shake that persona. So you may recognize Jen from That Metal Show on VH1's Classic or from her portrayal of Linda in the Broadway national tour of The Wedding Singer. She has since shifted paths and is shaping lives in an entirely new way, which we took a deep vertical dive into. So I first met Jen at Lewis Howe's Summit of Greatness, and I was blown away by her heart, her insane athletic ability. I worked out with her uh, in an early morning group session. We did a run and she uh, led the pack. Let's just say she is like a gazelle. And her entrepreneurial spirit, she's a beautiful person inside and out. And in this conversation, we talk about everything from what it's like living on a tour bus doing 10 shows per week as one of the leads in The Wedding Singer, what her first day was like arriving on set at VH1, and the challenges in shaking that rocker persona and being who she really is. Be sure to take a screenshot of this episode, share it on the socials, and remember to tag me and at Jen underscore Gottlieb and let us know what you thought of the show. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation I had with Jen Gottlieb. Jen, welcome to the show. Hi, Rob. Thank you so much for having me. So exciting, isn't it? Oh, so exciting. <laughs> you know, I, I got to tell you, I have been looking forward to do this for some time. And in doing some research on you, you are a very interesting girl. So we're going to get into all of that good stuff today. So thank you for making the time. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for thinking of me and for making the time for me to be on your podcast. I remember when you started this and I was so excited for you it's just so... to start a podcast and to be on it is a huge honor. So I'm oh, grateful to be here. You know, I got to tell you, I thought a good jumping off point would be for us to talk about something maybe that your parents did with you that sort of typifies what your experiences were like, say from ages five to 10. And and you can choose either Chicago or Florida because I know you split your time there. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So I had a very awesome childhood between the ages of five to 10 or between the ages of when I was born till about 12 when I would, when my parents got divorced and things started to happen. But I was really, really lucky to come from two parents that just wanted me to try every single thing that interests me. Uh, And I was a very outspoken, outgoing, demanding little girl. From the moment that I like came out of my mom's womb, I was a handful for sure because I wanted always to be putting on a show uh, and being the center of attention. So I spent like pretty much every single day of my childhood. My dad would come home from work. He was a trader on the Chicago Stock Exchange and he would come home and I would sing and dance to Michael Jackson, The Little Mermaid and Annie in the living room with him for hours. Oh, and Michael Jackson. So we have, there's actually videos on YouTube of me doing that as a kid that um, you, if you get really, uh, if you go down the rabbit hole, you can probably find. And I was just a really super happy kid. And my parents, they uh, encouraged me to do that. They encouraged me to, to do every single thing that interests me. So I did karate, I did gymnastics, I did horseback riding, I did dance and singing and acting. And it was, really great. The only thing that I maybe now I say to my parents, like, you know, why, why'd you do this? Was I would do something like, let's say gymnastics and get really, really, really good at it to the point where I was just about to be a really competitive gymnast and take the next step. And then I would say, I don't want to do this anymore. And they would be like, okay, what would you like to do? So they would let me quit. So there were good and there were bad things to that because the good thing was I became very, very well-rounded and I use a lot of the things that I learned throughout from all the activities that I did as a kid now as an adult. And as I was growing up, I used a lot of it just throughout my life. And because I was exposed to so many different things and I got really good at a lot of different activities, it it really helped me. But the only thing that I maybe regret was that they let me quit things before I got like to a really high level. So maybe I could have been... I mean, I have no regrets in life because everything happens for a reason, but I did bop around a lot and they let me... They let me do that. They let me quit. So maybe I could have been an Olympic gymnast or I could have been, right, like uh, a black belt in karate or whatever. But I guess it all happened for a reason. You know, all like in your particular situation, you know, a lot of this came into fruition much later in life, which we're going to talk about, just this little exposure that you had. So mm-hmm. if we sort of fast forward a bit to uh, the charter high school that you went to in Coral Gables, can you, can you place us on the day in your uh, senior year that you auditioned for the University of Hartford and how and why that decision shifted your life's trajectory? Yeah. So it was Coral Springs, not Coral Gables, but that's okay. Coral Springs. Very impressed with your research. First of all, like (laughs) not many people know, first of all, that I was born in Chicago. And second of all, that, that I went to Hartford. A lot of people don't know that because I didn't go for a very long time. So high school was an interesting time for me. I was not, I was never the best student. I didn't really like school, but the one thing that I really was passionate about was theater. And I was not the greatest student. So during high school, um, there was a point in time in senior year where I was going to look start looking at colleges and my grades were not very good. I was skipping school a lot. I wasn't going to school. I didn't care about school. I'm, I'm sure that if I really wanted to succeed at school, I could. I'm not, you know, but I just chose not to. And 
we, my family and I knew that in order for me to get into college, like I had to audition. It had to be because of my talent. I had to go to a musical theater school. So I chose, I, (laughs) I only chose one school to try out for. I was like, I don't know if I don't get in, then I'll figure it out. So I didn't apply to many colleges. I only applied to the university of Hartford because they had a great musical theater department there and I visited it and I loved it. And, um, I auditioned and even with a very, very low GPA, I was, I, they gave me a scholarship to go as a musical theater major. And in my high school, I went to a really small high school and, um, it wasn't the, the charter school. It was newer at the time. So not a lot of the kids in my, there was a very small graduating class and not a lot of them were going to really awesome colleges. So I got into this school and it was really exciting for uh, the teachers and everybody at my high school. So when it came down to graduation time, there was actually, I don't tell this story that much, but I was in danger of not graduating. And so we, because I was just, I went through a very rebellious time in my life and I had this scholarship to go to college, to go to university of Hartford and to be a musical theater major there and to like do what, like what I dreamed of doing. And we sat down with all of my teachers, my parents, and they're like, all right, we really want Jen to go for her dreams. We really, she's talented and we want her to do this. So all she has to do is come to school. (laughs) All she has to do is just show up. She doesn't have to do do any work and we will pass her. So I showed up and I graduated and I went, moved to Hartford and went to school to study musical theater. So it's like you had a little angel on your shoulder there at school that kind of got you through that. I absolutely did. I had a little angel on my shoulder throughout a lot of times during my adolescence, for sure. Because <laughs> I could have screwed things up a lot of different times. <laughs> and grateful, thankfully, like I, I screwed up enough to... like They were little screw-ups that taught me something and helped bring me where I am today, but nothing big enough to really ruin me. Oh, <laughs> yeah, back, for I'm like, sure. wow, like I really could have screwed it up there. If we move a little further through the years, you auditioned and you got the part of Linda in the Broadway national tour of The Wedding Singer. Mm-hmm. Why did you want that role? That's my favorite story to tell, favorite of all time. So when I, uh, so I went to Hartford for only probably a semester. I realized very quickly that it wasn't for me. I didn't like living in Hartford, Connecticut. I didn't love the program. I didn't love the school. I was like, screw this. I just want to go be in New York City and just go for it and just do what I want to do. I want to be on Broadway. I want to be a performer. And the school thing just clearly isn't for me. So I went to the American Musical and Dramatic Academy in New York City, which is a two-year conservatory program. And during that time, I was running around New York City like like a crazy person with all my friends having the time of my life and really enjoying living in New York City and going to school for theater and doing what I wanted to do. And we went, me and my friend Patrick went to see The Wedding Singer on Broadway. And I saw Felicia Finley play the role of Linda. And I turned to my friend and I was like, I am going to play that part. That it just, she was hilarious. She stole the show. It was the perfect, I just felt so connected to that character. I was like, I... I can rock that character. I want to play her. I'm going to play her. So I pretty much had it in my mind, like this is my mission. And then I started getting a little bit, this is my first peek into personal development was when I read The Secret. And I was like, this is kind of cool. Like they're saying that this, I was not woo-woo at all at this time, like not even the least bit. And I just thought, wow, like 
I could make things happen using my mind. Why don't I just try it? Like, doesn't hurt to try. What is one thing that I really, really want? And I thought, okay, I really want to be Linda and the Wedding Singer. And this is while I was still in school before I could go out into the world and start auditioning. So I decided to try to manifest being Linda and the Wedding Singer. So I would envision it every single night of me being on stage in the costume, singing the songs, playing the part. I made a vision board and I would talk about it as if I already had it with all my friends and they thought I was crazy. But I was like, oh, I yeah, I booked Linda and the Wedding Singer. Or That's all I want to do. All I care about is playing Linda and the Wedding Singer. And at AMDA, I sang all of her songs for all of my like final demos. They're called final demos where you have to do performances. And I just perfected playing her and being her and um, playing that character. So the first national tour of The Wedding Singer was holding auditions right as I was ending um, my time at AMDA. So obviously I went and I was so excited and I was like, this was my first audition in New York City. And I was like, I better get this part. Um, And there was, I think, over 500 people at that audition. It was just a giant open call. And I got to the final two. It was me and this girl battling it out for this part. And I didn't get it. And that was pretty devastating. But because I did all of that manifestation work and all of that visualization and all of all, all of that like believing that I knew that I was going to get it like work in my subconscious mind, it didn't get me that upset. And I still felt like, oh no, I'm still going to get it. It just hasn't happened yet. Like I completely changed the track in my brain, like to believe that this was happening because I envisioned it so clearly. And this is just uh, shows me now how powerful the law of attraction is. And I use it in my life now. I use manifesting and visualization every single day to help because it it worked. It Not only did it work in eventually getting me what I wanted, but when I failed the first time, I didn't really get upset and I still believed that it was going to happen. So I ended up going out for the second national tour comes along, not long after. I find out that this other uh, company was doing it. And I basically went to an audition that they were holding that was not for The Wedding Singer. It was for Footloose, which is a different show. And I was like, I'm going to go in because I know that these people are doing Wedding Singer. I'm going to go in for Footloose and I'm going to sing the Linda songs at my audition. I'm going to dress like Linda and I'm just going to sing the Linda songs and be like, yo, what's up? Like, This is what's going to happen. So I went in and I did that. And I went back out into the holding room and this never happens. The director came out of the room, came into the holding room and came up to me and said, come out into the hallway. And I go out into the hallway with him and he's like, listen, you're, we want you for Wedding Singer. We want you for Linda. We're just not casting it right now. So I want you to keep in touch with me and I will let you know when we're going to be casting and I'll let you know what the next steps are. So... Rob, every single week for, I think it was, I don't even know how long it was. It may have been like six months. I emailed this director like, Hey Seth, how are you? This is what I'm up to this week. Like just the stupidest things. Like what's going on? And I never really heard back from him until one day I got a contract in my email and they offered me not the role, but they offered me the understudy uh, slash ensemble member in the show. So I still like, still didn't get what I wanted. But of course, I was a lot closer to getting what I wanted. And I was ecstatic like just to book this show and book the understudy. And I was just so happy. And I was like, I know that I'm going to get to play the part. This is just one step closer. So long story short, I go... The, the beginning of the tour is two sit-downs at two different cities 
for a long period of time before we went out on the road. And I played the understudy and hung in there. And then when we were about to go on the road officially and go all around the country to perform this show, like with the Broadway sets and the Broadway costumes and everything, they switched things around. They bumped me up to Linda and I got the part. So my favorite thing to talk about is when I performed her song on stage for the very first time in front of an audience, the, what I saw like that vision of me being on stage in the costume with the audience in front of me, that exact theater, that was the exact thing that I saw when I was visualizing it years ago. It's so crazy. I mean, as I'm listening to that story, I'm getting chills because it's such an incredible, you know, it's incredible for what you accomplish, but even more than that, just knowing that you have the magic in you and the toolbox to be able to pull that rabbit out of your hat again for the next thing that you want is just remarkable, isn't it? Oh, it's my favorite thing. And I, I tell my clients and just, I talk about this a lot. Like um, whenever you feel like you can't do something or you just, you just are going to give up or you're just facing a really, really hard time to write out a list. I call it a badass list. Just a list of all the times in your life where you manifested something that you wanted. You were a complete badass at life. We, we all have those moments where we crushed it, right? Like we, like when I was performing that first time in Wedding Singer and I did that and I got that role and I manifested that. I created that basically with my actions and with my mindset. I don't believe it was all mindset. I did take action. but um, Or anytime that you conquered something really, really hard, just make a list of all of those things. And then you revisit that list whenever you're feeling like you can't do something. And it's such a great reminder like, oh, that girl that did that, that was me. And I made that happen. So anything that I want, I can make happen. I can. Anything is possible. And it's such a great thing just to pull out of your, of your pocket as a tool to remind yourself just how powerful you are because we all have those incredible badass moments when we got exactly what we wanted. Okay. Now, in the be careful what you wish for category, mm-hmm. you got what you wanted. We see all the glamour on stage, but there's always a flip side, right? Mm-hmm. Of course. Can you describe what it was really like being on the tour bus and living out of a suitcase and being a gypsy and doing 10 shows a week and your feet hurting and the dancing. What, what was that like? Yeah. So that's why I don't do national tours anymore. There's definitely a flip side. So I tell everybody like I was the happiest person in the entire world when I was on stage performing. That's like I was by far in my... That was my jam. I was in my flow state every single time. It didn't matter how tired I was. It didn't matter how much my feet hurt. It didn't matter that I was that I did like 15 jump splits the day before. You know, I was fine when I was on stage performing. But at the same time, the life around like around those shows was really tough. It was really, really challenging. And we were basically what our lives looked like is we were on a tour bus all day. So I would sleep. I had like this foam, you know, the like crate foam Mm -hmm. stuff and I'd put it underneath my seats on the bus and I would just put a comforter over my head and I'd sleep and we would be on the bus for like six hours. We'd get to a hotel, we'd drop off our stuff. We'd go to the gym to like run and get, we'd call it getting the bus off of you. And then you would get to the theater, put on your makeup, do a show, go to sleep, get on the bus, go to the next city, do it again. So, and it was, it was 10 shows a week. And not only was I, I was doing, I mean, I was dancing the whole entire show and I didn't call out one show that entire tour. I did not have my understudy didn't go on once. 
So it was physically painful. It was pretty emotionally draining as well. Just like going from city to city and only being with the same group of people. I was very, very lucky that the people that were in my cast were phenomenal, phenomenal human beings that I'm still friends with now. And they became my family, but I was in a relationship at the time. And so I was like halfway in, you know, Skype land with my boyfriend and halfway present with my cast. And sometimes in cities that only had a Walmart and that was it. And you had to eat healthy, you know, and find ways to do it, which has made me really, really awesome at you being able to eat healthy anywhere I go. But it was exhausting and it, it was very lonely at times. And it, I realized very quickly that, okay, yeah, this, it was actually a blessing, that whole entire experience, because I got to do what I always wanted to do and showed me how much I love performing and love being on stage, but also show me that it's, it's okay if I don't want that life. Like it, that's a certain lifestyle that you have to be willing to live to get that. And I made that decision after that tour that like, all right, I did it. I succeeded at this goal. I got that experience, which was the most phenomenal thing ever, but I'm ready to move on from that vision of doing that for the rest of my life because the lifestyle is not in alignment with, with what I want and who I am. Yeah, that's what I want to talk about. So would you say that acting was a true calling for you? In other words, you know, would you break through walls to get a gig anymore? Or is that something where you look at and go, you know, for that time in my life, it was good, but it actually wasn't my soul's calling or it was my soul's calling at that time, but it isn't now. I think we have a lot of different callings in our lives. I think that my, yes, I've been given a gift and I, and I definitely feel like performing, being on stage, helping people feel good, which you can do in many ways. I always say like my purpose, I think one of my biggest purposes in, on this planet is to help people feel good. And I did that when I was on stage performing, I took them out of themselves. I made people laugh. I made them feel good. That is one of my callings, but I want to do it in a different way. So that's... I guess that that's definitely where I'm headed. So I know, do I want to audition every day and like knock down doors? Like I thought that I was going to have to in the beginning when I first got out of school uh, and just like make it my life's goal to be going on tour and being on Broadway and being an actor and doing movies and things like that. It's a really hard life. And it's, I think it's super, super incredible uh, when people really feel like that's what they want to do and they go for it because it's one of the hardest things uh, that I think that you can choose to do. But I think I have other callings as well. And like I said, I think my main purpose is to make people feel good in whatever way I can do that, whether it's inspiring people to live their best lives or teaching them how to be healthy or performing on stage and taking them out of their, their current situation and just letting them escape for a while. I do think that I will, and I am getting on stage again, and I will get on stage again in my life. It just may be in a different way, or maybe I will revisit uh, performing one day and just I'll, I'll get there in a different way, not, not knocking down doors and auditioning and doing it that way. I think I want to, um, do it in my own little way, Rob. Yeah, no, I get it. You know, I, I tell you, I have always been very, very comfortable being me and getting in front of a stage and being able to deliver a speech or be able to talk in front of a group or talk to people, do a podcast, things like that. None of that has ever bothered me. But if I were to do one minute of what you did on stage, I'd piss in my pants. <laughs> I, I absolutely could not do it. I am very comfortable being me. 
and not comfortable being any other version of me, like, you know, in a role or something like that. So the reason why I give you that preamble is I'm fascinated, truly fascinated by how you could probably three things. One, memorize the script. Two, be able to dance in the way you dance. And three is be able to embody somebody completely different from yourself. Is that something that comes natural for you? So funny that you say that. And I love that you said that because before I say anything else, I just want to tell you that it is so much easier for me to go on stage and play another character and completely embody somebody else than it is for me to go on stage and be myself. <laughs> Crazy. Is that not? Yeah. And, and yeah. I had to get on stage for one of the very first times as myself and do and publicly speak about my story um, at Archangel Masters in San Diego this year. And I realized that like my first line was, all right, this is my very, I've been on stage millions of times and this is my very first time stepping on stage as myself. And I was shitting my pants, like so nervous. And I could have gone on and sang Linda and danced all over the place and been a character and just not even, it wouldn't even bother me. It would be the most exciting, amazing thing ever. But when I had to go and talk about me and just be me and take down that mask and take off that costume and just be exactly who I am, that is scary to me. I saw um, Al Pacino being interviewed once. It was so painfully uncomfortable to watch. Mm. And Larry King was interviewing. You can probably find it on YouTube. And Larry King actually just, he brought it up. He's like, do you don't like being interviewed? He goes, I am so uncomfortable right now. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? You're Al Pacino, man. This is unbelievable, you know? But so let's go from the stage to the next part of your life, which is television. Mm-hmm. So can you tell me the story of when you first saw the casting call for a show called That Metal Show and what the audition was like and maybe even how Britney Spears was involved in it? <laughs> yeah, you did your research, Rob. <laughs> I'm loving this. So when I got back from tour... So when I was on tour, I played the role of Linda, which is, I I based her, kind of, we can go full circle. There's another fun story of manifestation in there, but I based that character off of Lita Ford. I don't know if you know who Lita Ford is. She was in the other ways. Yeah, she's awesome. And I never knew who she was until I got this role and I was like, whoa, this is who Linda is. And so I, I based her off of that. So she was like this rocker chick. And I got an email. It was really random. I don't exactly remember if I sought out this audition, if I saw the casting call on something, or if I think the casting director found me and invited me to the open call. And I was like, this looks really cool. I just played a sexy rocker chick for a year on the road. Like, I'm going to get this part. Actually, the day before the audition, I was shopping with my boyfriend at the time and we were at. Bloomingdale's. I I still have this shirt. So I found this like Van Halen t-shirt and I'm like, I have this audition tomorrow. And if I buy this shirt, I was like, mark my word, I'm going to book this role. And he was like, okay. (laughs) And I bought this Van Halen shirt. I, I went home, I Googled everything there was to Google about heavy metal music because I knew absolutely nothing about heavy metal music, but I wanted to pretend that I did. Mm-hmm. And so I liked it all this homework. I came in knowing, knowing who Black Sabbath was who, and like be able to quote songs and stuff like that. I was ready to go. And I go into this audition and they literally 
asked me to, it was the easiest thing ever. I had to hold a box because the original role was to be Miss Box of Junk, which was the prize girl basically uh, to that just like walks out with uh, a box of junk to give prizes to the studio audience when they stump Eddie Trunk in this segment called Stump the Trunk. So they asked me to like walk out with the box and just like be cute and sexy. It was really, honestly, anyone could do it. But I was ready to like talk about Black Sabbath and they didn't ask me about any of that stuff. And the only thing that they asked me is they looked at my resume and at the bottom of my resume, I wrote, I do a great Britney Spears impression. I forgot that that was even there. And they were like, oh, let's hear your Britney Spears. What is this? So I do it and they all laugh and that was it. That was the audition. And I didn't hear back for like a week and I was like, ugh, I definitely... I thought I would get that. Like I, it was in my mind. I was already visualizing it, that I had it and the shirt and everything. I was like, I'm going to do this just like I did Wedding Singer. I'm getting this part. When my producer, Jeff, called me and told me I got it, he was like, it was totally Britney Spears. You know, that's what booked you on this. That's show. so funny. I'm like, wait, but on the heavy metal show? <laughs> What's it like during those two weeks that you're waiting? Are you visualizing, getting it, or you're not thinking about it? You're moving on to the next thing? Rob, I already thought I had it. I was really, I was a confident girl at that time. Now I have way more limiting beliefs that creep in and I get way more uh, obsessed with things. But back in that day, I was just like, oh, I know I got this. When are they going to call me? Uh, That's what I was feeling. And then when like a week went by and they didn't, I was like, hmm, maybe I'm wrong. But wait, like I just felt it. I just knew it. I don't... Maybe it was because of all the confidence I had coming off of Wedding Singer and I made that happen, but I wasn't really freaking out. And when he called, he told me, I just, for that specific thing, I was so confident that I was going to get that for some reason. It's it's amazing. I mean, I'm seeing the theme with you. You know what you want, you go after it and you get it. So I want to talk a little bit about what it was like. Maybe you can walk us through the first day arriving on the set of the metal show or that metal show. And maybe what you were thinking, what it felt like, was it what you thought it was going to be? Was it anticlimactic? I mean, I, I can't, you know, I'm thinking about if I were in your shoes and, you know, I got a part on a VH1 show, like what would day one feel like? Yeah, it was incredibly anticlimactic in the beginning, mm. to be totally honest with you. Mm. It was, um, I told you, it was the role started off as this really tiny role. And the show was actually, when I joined, was a smaller show. It was only half an hour long. We had, we had a great niche audience, but it was a smaller audience. We shot in a really small studio in New York City. It wasn't as big as it ended up becoming. And my first season on the show... I didn't know what to expect. I just, and all it really was, was I, I got there, I sat in hair and makeup, they made me look really pretty. And then like, I went on set for like four minutes, did my little thing. And then I could go home. And I was like, wow, I didn't get paid that much money. It started off being a really itty bitty, teeny tiny thing. It was not a big deal. Uh, and I thought maybe it would have been a bigger deal than it was. And I was like, all right, well, it's a gig, right? And and it's pretty cool. And But I did not... I had no idea what it was going to end up becoming. And I love the lesson that I learned with this because for the second season... So that whole season went on with me just... you know, I had a couple... Like I went out and I was cute and I was the hot girl and that was the end of it. it like I didn't really say anything. I didn't really have to... I didn't really have much to do with anybody else there. It was like, go in, do your job and leave. Second season, they call me and they're like, all right, well, we're moving the show to LA. We're going to film in LA. And you can come, but 
we'll pay your flight, but we won't pay for your stay and you have to stay there for 10 days. And I didn't know anybody in LA at the time. So I knew I would have to get a hotel for 10 days. And at that time, I definitely didn't have money to get a hotel for 10 days. And I said to my mom, I was like, mom, like I am interchangeable at this point. They can just get a girl in LA to play my part. And then once they do that, she'll like, I'm out, right? They'll never hire me again. But if I go to LA and I do this, I will solidify myself in that show. And I think that this is what I need to do. And so my mom was like, all right, and let's go. And my mom and I went together. She paid for the for me to stay in a hotel for 10 days with, and she stayed with me. She was amazing during that time. And it's so funny because I I could have just said like, all right, well, uh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go to LA. I don't really have the money to do that. And it's fine. And just forget about it because what I did in New York wasn't that big of a deal. I could have let it go, but something told me I need to go and I need to do this and I need to invest in myself and I need to ask my mom for help. And I went and the day that I got there, they said to me, First of all, we're extending the show from a half an hour to an hour, which means you're going to get a bigger part, which means you're going to have to become SAG, which means you're going to get paid a lot more. So I was getting paid like, I don't even know, quadruple what I was getting paid before. I had a bigger part. The show was an hour and we were filming at Universal Studios, which is Sony Universal. It was the coolest thing in the entire world. So because I made that decision, I solidified myself in the show. I became SAG and I increased my... paid for the hotel four times over. like ridiculous. I made a ton of money and and then the rest is history. And then I became Jennifer on that metal show instead of just like, oh, the cute Miss Box of Junk girl. Okay. So a couple of lanes I want to go down. One is I, I find it to be incredible that Outfits like VH1, or uh, we have a mutual friend, uh, which could remain nameless at this moment, who got a cover of a magazine, and they said, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna give you the cover, but you got to fly yourself out here." Mm-hmm. Hey, we're gonna. So you know the illusion that people have of Hollywood and television, things like that, is you know an illusion. It's just that you know. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing is uh, SAG. A lot of people may not know what that is. That's I'm assuming that's Screen Actors Guild. And what is a SAG card? Yeah. So a SAG card is really hard to get when you're just becoming an actor. And I always wanted to get my SAG card, but I couldn't. It's kind of like a double-edged sword. In order to get your SAG card, you need to do a SAG gig, but you can't get a SAG gig without your SAG card. So you have to like get all these points. It's like It's a really hard system. It's hard to break in. But once you have your SAG card, you can work on any SAG project. And it kind of like solidifies you as an actor when you're part of the Screen Actors Guild. And I always wanted it. And I never knew how I was going to get it. I never even thought that I would at some point. You know, I was like, this sucks. I'll just keep doing non-union gigs until magically one, you know, I don't even know. I'll get enough of these. I forget what it's called. I haven't been in the industry for a while, but they're like points that you need to add up to get to get your SAG card. Uh, so the fact that I got my SAG card was a really, really, really big deal. And the other thing I'm going to make you laugh about mm-hmm. when we, when you and I became friends on Facebook, I'll, I'll be 52 this year, which means that I went very aggressively through the heavy metal years, right? Mm-hmm. When you and I became friends on Facebook, I started getting these weird messages from guys in my high school saying, do you know who that is? Really? Oh yeah. It was really weird. I'll send them to you. <gasps> it was funny. really strange. Like all the, like the heavy metal guys were like 
freaked out that I was friends with you, like like personally friends with you. I was like, wow, this is a loyal bunch right here. They are. They're very loyal. That metal show had the greatest fans ever. Has. I, still has. They're it's amazing. It's so crazy. It's so such crazy. an amazing community of people. I've never met such dedicated fans in my entire life. I remember we had, there was an, he, when we were filming in New York again, after we stopped filming in LA, there was like the biggest blizzard of the year on the day we were filming. And people still came. Like people were stuck on the side of the road. Like they were just so unbelievably dedicated, so sweet and are still like still message me all the time. Like we missed that metal show when we got canceled, they were signing petitions to try to get us back. They're just like, they're a smaller bunch. It's a small niche, but they're really powerful and amazing. So when you were out in LA, how long were you there filming or did you just go film a couple of weeks and then come back to New York? Film a couple of weeks and then come back to New York. So we would do a season. We'd go out and shoot a season and then come back. So we would do like eight days in a row of, of shooting. So 14 seasons is what you ultimately wound up doing. How many years is that in dog years? I don't know. People ask me that all the time and it, it feels like such a blur to me. I, I couldn't even tell you. I think it was from like 2011 to like 2016. Okay, so it's not 14 years. I was trying to no, do the math. I was no, like, no. you look really good for your age. I'm okay. 32, so kind of possibly been. <laughs> okay. All right. So now, now you got this rocker chick brand, this rocker girl persona. You're the girl with the makeup, the big hair, but that's not Jen Gottlieb. Can you talk a little bit about what it felt like in your skin being this persona, but actually being somebody else? So I had such an identity crisis going on because I had this amazing job. It was incredible. It was an amazing gig. And I was playing myself. It's an interesting thing. I was playing myself, but I was playing a very made up character version of myself. And it wasn't who I was. If you were to meet me outside of the show, you would see, okay, I'm not really into heavy metal music. I, you know, I don't dress like that. I don't, that's not my thing. And I'm way more passionate about other things. It was, there was a disconnect. There was a disconnect and it was, it was okay for a while because the only way that I was showing up like on the internet or on social media was as this character. And it was a great way for me as a very insecure woman, a perfectionist. I went through, you know, it was great to be able to hide behind that mask and not show up as who I really was in the public eye. It really kept me really nicely guarded and I could hide behind all of that and do all the photo shoots with all the hair and all the makeup and all the spray tan and look really mean, even though I'm definitely not that. It's, I'm going to be more of the opposite, but just like look like super sexy all the time. Because that, when it came down to it, I just didn't really know who I was and I didn't really feel incredibly comfortable in my skin for a lot of those years. And then as we started to get into the final seasons of the show, I started really coming into myself and my career. I had ended a relationship that I was in that was pretty toxic for me and I started to build up my own life for the very first time ever. Outside of the show, I decided to become a personal trainer and become and an entrepreneur and build my own business and started to explore personal development and really do a lot of work on myself for the first time in my entire life and started to figure out who I was and what I wanted to do on this planet. Because before then, I didn't really know. It was kind of just aimlessly floating. Yes, I knew that I wanted to perform. I knew I wanted to be on TV and on stage, but I didn't really know who I was. 
and like what my true mission on the planet was, or nor did I really care. I was just kind of floating aimlessly. And I got a lot more uh, direction. And I think my producers started to see that. Uh, in the last couple of seasons, they gave me my own web series where they let me do fitness stuff. So I had like Miss Box of Fitness. So I interviewed all the rock stars about what they did in the gym or what they didn't do in the gym <laughs> and how they ate. And, and they let me start to do that a little bit more. And then when the show ended. So that like at that time when I was doing like fitness on that metal show, I was so confused. I was like, who am I? What is my brand? Like I, this is a massive identity crisis. What am I putting on on the internet? Cause I had this successful personal training business, but then I was also that metal show girl. So I had those fans and then, but I also wanted to help people with their health and it just wasn't aligning for me. It felt really sticky and really yucky. And the show ended And that was when I had to make a decision. And I had to officially, for the very first time, let go of all of that and rebrand as who I am, as Jen Gottlieb, and figure out exactly who that person is and what I want to do going forward, which was a really scary, vulnerable uh, time for me because I spent so much of my life as an adult hiding behind this character, always hi- always getting to play a character, whether it was a character on stage that totally wasn't myself or this version of myself that just kept me like with a nice big mask on my face where like you couldn't really get in. It was just like a lot of fakeness and not a lot of authenticity. So I decided finally, like, I'm going to take it all down. I'm going to move on from that metal show, which was really hard because that was a really like great time in my life. And had a lot of fans, but I, I just needed to pivot. And I, I knew that it was time and show up as me. So I redid my website. I redid all my branding. And now the entire direction of my business and my life has completely transitioned. And I've never felt better. <laughs> and um, it was a sticky time. But like once you start living authentically as you are and accepting yourself for exactly who you are and realizing what your mission is on this planet, like the real mission, like the one that's in your heart, the one that is that you're completely connected to with your soul, it just manifests everything you could ever want. And I, I can't stress that enough. When you when you find that, that's when things start happening for you that just feel good and didn't doesn't feel sticky anymore. It doesn't feel unaligned anymore, and just opportunities keep presenting themselves that to that that probably wouldn't have if I was staying stuck behind that facade that I was putting up for so long. Yeah, that was beautiful. It gave me chills. You know, every time you get chills, somebody told me some psychic I went to said it's a uh, it's a confirmation from God. Ooh. So I like that. So how did fitness enter the picture for you? Was it your mom being a yoga teacher, you needing a side gig, uh, being an actress, being unpredictable? What what was it? Well, I was... I told you when I was a kid, I did every sport under the sun. So I was always an athlete. And then when I was an actress, I was always working out and in healthy ways and not healthy ways, trying to be thin, right? Because when you're in the entertainment industry, there's a lot of pressure. And I suffered with all kinds of disordered eating and exercising and um, learned the healthy ways to work out and eat right and the non-healthy ways to work out and not eat right. Mm -hmm. And learned a lot about that in, in my process of healing from that. But when I was uh, just acting and auditioning, I knew that I needed to have another gig because 
acting is not a forever thing. You can have a job and then the job ends and then you need to either wait tables or babysit. And I knew that I didn't want to do that. So I always knew, well, being a personal trainer would be a great job for me. I love to help people. I know a lot about working out and that would be a gig that is flexible, that I could make my own hours and I could still be an actress at the same time. And I could start and stop whenever I wanted to. And it seemed like a great idea. And I was in a relationship at the time with someone who did not want me to pursue anything. They just wanted me to kind of be a housewife and audition and do right, like go on my auditions and try to be an actress and then just stay home. And I told him like, I want to be a personal trainer. And he's like, no, don't do that. Don't do that. So when that relationship ended, I was like, I found myself with nothing. And I'm like, okay, this is the time. This is when I need to hustle and I need to do something and I need to create something that can be sustainable for me and real. And not that acting wasn't real, but something that I can always make a living with. So I decided to finally become a personal trainer. And I started, I wanted, my first job was at, it's called Equinox, it's Equinox now, but it used to be Reebok Sports Club. And it's a really, it was the most fancy gym in Manhattan for a while. It's like six stories. It's huge. It's amazing. So many celebrities work out there. And I had a membership there because my boyfriend paid for it before I became a trainer. And I knew that that was the gym that I wanted to work at. And as you know, Rob, I told you, if I want to do something, I want something, I get it. So in order to... And they only hire trainers there if you have experience. And I had absolutely no experience. I was just going to go get my certification and just... I I decided that I was going to get a job there. So I invested the only money that I had in having a membership at that gym so that I could meet everybody that I needed to meet to be able to network my way into getting a job at that gym. And I kissed a lot of ass and I had to basically be their bitch and pick up things around the gym and clean up for a really long time and not get to train people for a while. But I ended up getting to be a trainer at that gym, which is what I wanted more than anything. And through that gym, I made unbelievable connections. I grew my personal training business and I was able to leave in, I think it was like under a year and start my own business around New York City, just training really elite people. So CEOs and celebrities and um, really high level high, high level people all around New York City, which was really awesome. And um, built a really great little company for myself in personal training. It's amazing. You know, I want to talk to you a little bit about Manhattan. So yeah. you're in the city now and you're, you're bouncing around from client to client. How do you like living in Manhattan and do you see yourself staying there? Because it takes a very special kind of person to live there long term. Yeah. Well, I'm not currently a personal trainer anymore. All of the stuff that I do is remote. and Oh, I didn't know that. So you're not with clients anymore. Now it's all virtual. I have trainers that work for me now for the company and I do everything virtually and it's more intimate. So I work with high-performing entrepreneurs uh, designing their lifestyles. So we do food mindset and movement, but it's not one-on-one personal training anymore, which is a pretty cool transition. But... To get back to New York City, I love New York City. I am like, it fuels me. Some people get exhausted by New York City and some people get fueled by New York City. And I just am addicted to the energy here. I love it. And I think that I found... There has been times in my life where it has been overwhelming for me and I have felt burnt out and I have felt uh, like the energy has been too much. And I had times in my life, especially when I was single or I was like, screw this. I can't live here anymore. Maybe I need to live somewhere else. But... Now I have found a really great way to find balance 
in this city and find quiet and find my serenity and my peace in, in, I guess you would call the madness and then use the energy to my, to plug into when you how do you, how do you do that? What are the mechanics behind that? When you're in the city like New York and you know, you're a, you're a hard charging type A entrepreneur, how do you, how do you find that? Yeah, there's a lot of different ways. So I'm very, very careful about a, who I surround myself with. Um, I only surround myself with really positive people that are movers and shakers and also that value similar things that I value, like personal development and personal growth. And my morning routine is really, really important to me. So Let's talk I, about that. What's yeah. the first 90 minutes look like? In a place like Manhattan, you really need to ground yourself before you go out into the world, <laughs> before you before you take okay. on everything. And I have my morning routine, basically I wake up, I don't hit the snooze button. Um, I feel like hitting the snooze button is just saying a big F you to the universe and saying, I'm going to procrastinate this day and I don't want this day to happen. So the alarm goes off, I wake up, I make my bed. And making the bed is your very first win of the day. So that's like my first success. So I like to start my day off with a win. So making my bed is uh, non-negotiable for me. Then after that, I do my morning gratitude lists. I have two gratitude lists that I do. The first one is uh, I'm grateful for just all the stuff that I'm grateful for in my life. Right? Like my beautiful apartment, living in New York City, God, money, my friends, my love, all those things. Then my second gratitude list is where I do my manifesting and I make shit happen. And this morning routine and this second gratitude list has manifested so many things in my life, Rob, I can't even tell you. So if you don't do this, I highly, highly recommend you do it because it can make magic happen in your life. I do. I'm so grateful that and I talk about things that I don't have yet that I want as if they've already happened. So I'm so grateful that my business made seven figures this year, right? Or or really detailed. I'm so for a very long time, I would say every single day, I'm so grateful that I met the love of my life today because I wanted to be in a relationship or I'm so grateful that, I don't know, today was easy and effortless. Just simple things like that. And, um, and that just puts you in the mindset of like actually truly believing that every single thing that you want, you have already. It's already happening to you. And if you believe that it's already happening to you and you already have it, you almost trick your subconscious mind. Actually, you do. You just reprogram your subconscious mind to lead you to take action towards those things. So yes, like I believe that like attracts like and your thoughts are energy and they bring forth those visions that you envision because they are attracting them. Like It does make you take action because you're so familiar with that thing already as if you already have it. So it's easy to get it. Just like what I did with Wedding Singer and kind of what I did with that metal show. So I do my second gratitude list. And um, then I do an affirmation. My boyfriend and I read this amazing, beautiful affirmation every single day. And then we tell each other why we're grateful for each other. And then we meditate for 20 minutes. And then I go about my day. But I don't check any social media or cell phone stuff or emails or anything until I'm done with my meditation. And that's been really crucial too. I freaking love that. I just took some notes. We have... We're about 80% doing the exact same thing with a couple of differences. I love your second gratitude list, but I have a question on it. Are you pulling that second gratitude list from memory or are you looking at a list of goals and rewriting them? Yeah. So it's basically everything that I want in my life, or it could be, it could be from my list of goals. I don't even really make lists of goals. I just know what I want. 
And I probably should make lists of goals. Maybe I'd be a lot more, I mean, I would succeed a lot more on those goals, even more than I am. But I just know what I envision for my life. And if I have certain goals that I'm working on like this month, like I have a group program that's starting on June 1st. So right now, my second gratitude list, I every single morning I've been writing, I'm so grateful that my group program sold out easily and effortlessly by June 1st. And when I write that down, I feel it. So I think the secret is... The secret is feeling it and believing it and and writing it down and then really taking it in and actually feeling what that would feel like when that happens. So you familiarize yourself with the feeling that you're going to feel when you accomplish that. Or I I did this with our apartment. Like I envisioned what the windows would look like in this apartment that I really, really wanted to have. And I was like, I'm so grateful that I'm looking out these unbelievable, beautiful windows at this apartment, at this address. And I wrote that down forever and ever and ever, and I manifested that. Love it. My new morning routine will have a second gratitude list that I am now titling the Jen Gottlieb yes! list. I freaking yes! love that. Oh my gosh, such you a great have to one. let me know what you manifest from your second gratitude list. I absolutely will. It's I it's on it's on my uh it's on my things to do. Okay. So I want to move to the second part of the show, which is the play hard part of the show. And uh you know, basically play hard is anything that really has to do with fulfillment and is outside of the kind of work that you do. So if you had a magic wand and you were to describe what play hard looks like for you, what would that be? Playing hard these days is a lot different than playing hard back in the day was. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yep. It evolved. Yeah. um, I used to, I guess, like would your actual, like what you would think play hard looks like used to be me back when I first moved to New York, but now playing hard. I love this is, I'm such a nerd. I love going to Barnes and Noble and reading personal development books. I'm a total geek. My boyfriend and I have like, so we just buy books. Like I love going to Barnes and Noble reading personal development books. I have an amazing little dog named Dexter and I love walking around the city. I love going out to cool restaurants in New York. I don't drink, but I still love going out. Uh, to the cool new places and being out and about. That's really fun for me. And I like to work out, obviously. And my all-time favorite thing, if you were to ask me my favorite activity to do in New York City, is to take the subway all the way downtown on a beautiful day and then put on podcasts or put on an Audible book and walk all the way back uptown and just watch the city change. It is the coolest thing to do. You can stop in restaurants, stop in shops, stop in stores, but just like kind of mindlessly walk. And that that recenters me no matter what I'm going through. If I'm ever going through a rough time, I just do that long New York City walk. It is the greatest thing in the entire world. So, Oh my God, I want to get on a plane and just go fly there and do that. That sounds incredible. Next time you're here, we can go on a long New York City walk together. Uh, We'll have to put our pot. We'll have to put our podcasts on. Maybe we can listen to this podcast. Perfect. I love it. What is the one thing that's rocking your world now that has nothing at all to do with work? The Office. <laughs> I love that show. We're watching oh, the, the TV Office. Show. Have you ever I was like, your office, that directly has to do with work. Okay, the TV show, got it. The reason why I asked this question is because, you know, it's it's a challenge. Most of the people that I interview who are fascinating, like yourself, they, you know, a lot of their life is around work and the play hard part of their, their life is a challenge, which is the reason why I did this podcast 
because you know we can learn from each other about embracing other parts of our life that aren't you know work you know what i mean a hundred percent i totally agree with you but i also think that like all the work that i get to do now is also really fun so my boyfriend and i love traveling to do to go to seminars and go to conferences and it's fun like that's that's my play. Like I, I enjoy my work so much because it's not work for me. It's fun. And I get to do it with like my partner in life and it's, I'm helping people and it feels good and it never feels like work. It honestly always feels like play. So I'm always wanting to do that. And the way I guess that I force myself to shut it down and turn it off is, is watching like, we'll watch an episode of the office and just laugh or go see a funny movie or like get out of it for a little, but I'm always like really happy to get back to it. It just feels like play and holding dinner parties and, um, mixers. Like we had an amazing media mixer that you could have called work last night. We went to a beautiful restaurant in Manhattan and brought together a bunch of people from the media and a bunch of entrepreneurs and just had the most amazing time. And you could have called it work because it was actually technically networking and work, but it was so much fun. And I was out and I was having fun at a really cool restaurant. So for me, work-life balance is, is just, it's life. And as, and as long as my work feels like fun, I'm cool with that. If it doesn't feel it. fun anymore, then I, then I need to figure out something that I love to do that can also be work. And that's what it is. And then it's time to get more in balance. Yeah. If you, if you had all the time and money in the world to pursue a hobby or a recreational activity, what would it be? I would probably learn how to cook. I, I really love watching Top Chef and cooking shows when I want to shut it down, the office or cooking shows. And I don't know how to cook at all. I know how to prepare food, but I'm not a good cook. And I think that I would learn how to be a really awesome cook. Yeah, I think that would be something that I would really love to do. A cooking class in Tuscany sounds like it's going to be on your list. Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> I'll take it. You know, relationships can be challenging and maybe even go on the back burners while you're building your brand or your business. What struggles have you had in this area and how have you overcome them? Yeah. So what I've noticed recently, there's a lot there recently, and it's it's really come up this year as I've really taken a lot of steps forward in my business, is I have a lot of friends from, I want to call it my previous life or just like a long, a, a while ago that have been unbelievable friends to me and incredible people in my life. And we have so much history and um, we've learned so much from each other and they're important people to me. And I love them so much for all the time that we spent together. But I'm learning now as you go through life and as you grow and as you change and as your interests change and, and you start to figure out more things about yourself. And I, I've I hate to say like become a little bit more enlightened, maybe spiritually or maybe uh, just more into growth, a growth mindset. And if other people aren't quite there that are in your life, it's very hard to connect with them as you continue to grow forward and if they grow a different direction. So what I've learned is how to how to be okay with letting go, which I think you know, went is a very hard thing for a lot of people. And it was very hard thing for me for a really long time. I like, I knew that there were relationships that just weren't serving me anymore or the other person that I was in the relationship with. And we were just holding on to it because of the past that we had together. And once, and it's okay for people to come into your lives for 
your life for a season or for a reason and teach you something and you teach them something and you have a beautiful time and then a friendship can change and that's okay. And you can let go of that. And I found that when I do, I open space for new relationships to come in. I'm still figuring it out. I'm still navigating it because it's a hard thing to do, but it, it always feels good when it happens for both people. Now, is the boyfriend new or is the boyfriend somebody that's been around for a while? The boyfriend, I guess you would call it new, but it has, new. It, it, it feels like he's been around for a while because I've known him for a really long time in my mind. Ah, <laughs> one of those. Those are the best. Yeah. Oh, 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 you mean you, mean you, you sort of manifested him yes, too? Totally. Oh, man. Completely. I hope he knows what he's dealing with here. Oh, he knows. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're going to wrap up with our rapid fire round of questions. Answer as quickly or as slowly as you would like. It's basically a what's the first thing that comes to your mind round. What would your friends say is one of your superpowers? My friends say that I have the power to make everybody that I'm talking to feel really amazing about themselves. Love that. What's one of the things you're afraid of right now? I am afraid of fear. I don't Mm. like feeling of, I I think that fear is the worst thing that you can feel and I hate it. And it's a real thing. And I always get scared of feeling fear because I know that once I get into that fear mindset that I start going in a pretty bad direction. It starts spiraling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do people never ask you, but you wish they did? Uh, I like to talk about my morning routine. So uh, people don't ask me about that enough. That's a perfect answer. You have a really good morning routine. So I totally get that. What's the one thing that you want to get better at? I want to get better at running a business and like hiring people and managing a team because I know that I need to delegate and I need to learn how to do that better. Love that. Are there any particular books that you have reread? And if so, which one have you reread the most? I pick up uh, The Game of Life and How to Play It by Florence Scovel Shin. I pick that up all the time and I just reread portions of it. It's an amazing, amazing book all about the law of attraction. It was written a really long time ago, but it's really good. Yeah. I heard of it. Never read it. Maybe I should. Okay. What's the one thing you own and probably should throw out, but you never will? My wedding singer sweatshirt. (laughs) (laughs) It's so gross. And it's, it's huge and it's curled up and it's like in this drawer that takes up the entire drawer and it really needs to go somewhere, but I will never throw that out. Best advice for your 20 year old self. Stop giving a shit what anybody else thinks. Mm. It's freeing. Mm -hmm. Last question. If you had to give a Ted talk on nothing that you're known for or nothing that you speak about, and it could be on anything that you like to do or anything that you have a passion for or really anything else at all, what would it be? I think I would want to learn more about how the way that you're brought up uh, affects the way that you are. So maybe something to do with, even though I don't have kids, um, (laughs) something to do with like bringing up children and like if the way that you're brought up has anything to do with how you turn out or not. Because I I come from a family where my brother and I are incredibly different. And I like looking at that. And so maybe I'd want to do research on that and learn about that and do a TED Talk about it. I love that. You know, this, this, uh, this question that I ask, and I ask all my guests this question, and most people get stumped with it, mm-hmm. but basically it's a question that came from Steve Jobs. Mm. He asked his executives this question because they're all, they're all expected to answer questions that are obvious, right? right? Tech stuff. But when you ask somebody that question, it forces them to look outside of their lens 
and come up with something that they're interested in, but they're not really talking about. So I, I love the question. It's such a fascinating question. Everybody gives different answers and it really makes you think, well, I cannot tell you how much I enjoyed this interview and getting to know you. This has been so great. Do you have any final words, suggestions, or an ask for the people that are listening? Yeah. Well, Rob, thank you for this interview. It's been amazing. You really did your research and <laughs> it was really, really fun talking to you about all this stuff. It brought back a lot. And, um, and I'm really grateful for you. I'm really grateful for this. So I have an ask. If you want to connect with me, I'm really, really available. You connect with me on my personal Facebook page at Jen Gottlieb. And I am releasing a couple new online programs. So if you go to the360shift.com, you can learn all about that. You can learn about the five fitness secrets of highly effective people, which is just a free uh, ebook that I wrote that everyone can download. It's pretty cool. And um, yeah, follow me on Facebook, Instagram at Jen Leah Gottlieb. Jen, thank you so much for everything. Thank you so much for everything. And I hope I get to see you soon. We can do that um, podcast listen and walk in New York City. Yes. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and you know someone that needs some help in either stepping up their work hard game or their play hard game, it would mean the world to me if you shared this podcast with them to help me get this movement out there. So if you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes, take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. So until the next episode, excuses are over. It's time to live.